how expensive do you think that Mikado order ended up being? Like, what's the what's the final damage? Ooh. Painter, you worked in the you worked in the food service industry in, in Auburn. What, what what are we thinking? What what kind of bill they running up? Pardon my delay. I was actually counting as you asked the question. How many people are in the picture? I think I counted eighteen. Yeah. And these are not eighteen normal human beings. These are uh, humans that are exercising at an insane rate. Um, man, I mean, each Highest one of those guys is usually, and, and what, what is a Japanese, what is Mikata? Is this the kind of place where they flip the food into your mouth? Is this the same deal? I, 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 sadly, I have never been to Mikata. I have one of my siblings, one of my siblings is big on it. Uh, Dan, are you a Mikata? I've, I've actually never been to Mikata either. I've been to other similar, um, Japanese steakhouses or, you know, a, a hibachi countertop sort of uh, situations uh, and and yeah i love that painter's description of the genre is <laughs> restaurants where they flip the food into your mouth I love it's well traveled i am i really yeah. got a kick i really because he's right but it's you know it's just that's I, I don't know if that's i don't know if that's what they're listed at in like the phone book they uh, spin the egg you know and also yeah. um <laughs> Yeah, and when I was a kid, I don't know if this is the same ownership or if it's a totally different restaurant, but there was a Mikado when I was a kid growing up in Auburn that had a super catchy jingle. Oh, that's the same restaurant, my friend. You're t- we're talking about the very same Mikado, the one <laughs> that borrowed. Come on, let's have I fun. Believe, I believe, I believe fun. it repurposes a, a, uh, a Jethro Tull song, <laughs> uh, I, I believe, is, is, the, is where that comes from. Uh, Mikado, Aqualung. And I'm sure, I'm Painter, Painter, do you think we can close... The, this episode with that song uh, i will get- do some uh recon on if that is available <laughs> but i'm get, getting back to the the matter at hand i'm thinking 18 people i mean do you want to conservatively go 50 to 50 to 70 ahead um you know and that's and that's probably what we're thinking about if the, if they're getting entrees and i mean there's probably not much booze going around but i'm thinking maybe a little bit more protein than than the average person in there so i'm 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 going to i'm saying yeah maybe a little bit maybe a little bit under 50 but that's that's probably where they are per person my, so we're yeah dan my baseline was like it's got to be about 40 minimum for each guy yeah. and then you know varying on what they order and how much they order of course you know if somebody's getting steak or whatever you know, we're, plus, like you said we could be talking about like 70 dollars. yeah plus tip i mean i think we're dropping a band at least you know on the uh, on, <laughs> on the makata on the makata folks uh, with, with that with that offensive line rolling through yeah one thing real quick the flipping food into your mouth genre it's really only japanese steakhouses and lambert's and foley <laughs> i think those are the only two spots that qualify and, and, there. and i guess i guess sea world is the other place where they <laughs> you think sea world could make extra money if they were like all right for a certain amount of money you can pay to have our trainers throw food in your mouth <laughs> shout out shout out to the gulfarium uh in uh, in oh, drove Anaclusa. by there a couple times uh, a couple weeks ago it's it's uh, like great uh, memories yeah i'm not gonna say anything actionable about the about the gulfarium I, w- I went there i went there a lot as a kid and uh it's and like yeah, the, the dollar general version of SeaWorld. <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think one of the dolphins smokes like that's that's uh, I don't know I, I love I love the yeah, Gulfarium. He's a line chef at the Crab Shack next door. Yeah, 
but yeah, the the so the Makata picture is like made the rounds because somebody pointed out it was a fan pointed out on Twitter, and I saw this um, new AL dot com writer uh, Ainsley Lee uh, follow her on Twitter and read her stuff. Uh, new uh, Auburn fans, new new person on the beat. Her and uh, and Matt Cohen are now. Uh, the new members of the beat. So met them at in Nashville at media days, looking forward to uh, spending the season with them. But uh, <laughs> she was like, she covered uh, Garner Langlow in high school and Garner Langlow is on the far left of this picture. And his arm looks like, I mean, it, his bicep looks like it's the size of my head and folks, I wear a very large hat size. So it's, it's, a, it might be, a, it might be the size of Dan's head. Which is, yeah. which that is that is what we're talking about. Just a big time guy. It's, I cannot like his arm is huge in that one. And this is a guy that like we'll talk about it maybe maybe later on in the show. But like he could be Auburn's like fourth tackle this year. Maybe fourth tackle, fifth tackle, something like that. Like he could get in the picture. Um, but man, I mean, I. You do wonder if it's a camera trick or not. I think you were saying that, Painter, when we were first talking about this. But, like, no. Nah. I mean, everybody else looks normal. That's just that's just a very large arm for a very large young man. I think it stands out a little bit more because he's on the end. And, you know, some, some of the guys have their arms concealed or something like that. But, but no, he, he does appear to be uh, someone who's, who's going into with, with fall camp around the corner. And like you said, he could be, he could be on the two deep. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, with, uh, with with three new tackles and uncertainty where everyone fits in on the offensive line, and yeah, it looks like he's uh, looks like he's headed in in tremendous shape. Is yep. green a good color for people with muscles? Yeah, it makes you look like the Incredible Hulk. What are the What are the bad colors for people with muscles? Like, because I've you know, mm-hmm. this is, yeah, because I'm not speaking. Red's from, a power yeah. co- uh, color, so I presume red's also a go. I think yellow would be tough. Painter, you're wearing a yellow shirt right now. Yes, Hulk, I am. Hulk, Hulk Hogan, of course, the ultimate example of guy with muscles who had the yellow shirt going mm-hmm. for a, you know, a long time with the, with the rips and everything. Maybe there isn't a bad color for muscles. Yeah. Maybe if you have them, they always look nice. Because, yeah, if you wear like, if you wear like hot pink or something like that, it, you, I mean, it's just going to look, I mean, it's just in your face. You can, I think you, any bright color is going to really work. And then that one is, you know the the shirt that 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 uh, Mr. Langlow is wearing is like a like a Kelly green, maybe a little bit a little, a little bit uh, lighter than that, and it's just like, yeah, like oh bang, there you know, giant arm, here you go. Like I, I think it makes you look like the Incredible Hulk if you were green. Maybe green's one of the only light colors you can. But I think anything bright, it's like a right. hey, look at me, but, I am I am a jacked individual. Yeah, I, I still, I mean, to to veer it away from fashion a little bit, I, I still think that. If you work in a restaurant, uh, especially if you're like, you know, if, if, if the bottom line of the restaurant matters to you and that 18 man party walks in, you're doing you're making cash register noises like a cartoon, right? Like that is a it's a big that's a big night for any restaurant that gets the business of that group. That's yeah. This is the time of year that's always my favorite when you like see these guys you know, sometimes coaches will say, "Hey, we we had the had the team over or the our, our position group over," and sometimes you're like, "Hey, we got you know 
barbecue from so-and-so or we got Italian from so-and-so or, you know, we went out to, to, to this restaurant or, or another. And it's just like, I always like seeing like what position group picks what, you know? And, and I feel like, yeah, steakhouse, Japanese steakhouse where you're going to get bulk uh, portions that is perfect for the for the offensive lineman in your life for sure. We, we um, were we were at a uh, we were at movie theaters this weekend. We can talk about this a little bit later on, possibly. But but Justin, they were running out of things because of the business this weekend. You wonder if you, you wonder if Makata was running low. Just was, got cleaned out. Was running low on anything uh, as uh, as as Auburn's offensive line uh, left the restaurant. Hey, hey, uh, uh, we'll also say speaking of this weekend, shout out. Because, you know, this is a podcast where we talk about Auburn sports and the times we aren't talking about Auburn sports, we're talking about uh, Auburn restaurants, um, Auburn area restaurants. Uh, first time in a minute for me, um, and it's been far too – it had been far too long since I had gone back. Uh, MK's uh, Asian Kitchen in Opelika over in Tigertown by the Kroger. I mean, bang for your buck, it's hard to beat that for Chinese food in, in, in the area. I'm going to – I'm just going to go ahead and say that. That is – I don't know if it's a hidden gem because, like, I went in and I saw, you know, on the wall again. I was reminded they've won the OA News is like Reader's Choice Award for Chinese food in the air. They've won it every year since 2014, so like people know about it. But I still feel like people don't know, like, not enough people know about it. So even though I haven't been to Makata yet, I can I can vouch I can vouch for the good people people at MKs. And then of course, Painter, we have to we have to mention them every time we talk about Chinese food. Our good friends down at the mall. It's the Hour Observer Podcast. The, uh, shoot, what is this? This is Tuesday, by the time you're listening to this uh, edition. Justin Ferguson here. In Auburn, Alabama. Um, let's see who I'm going to start with this week. I am going to go to Painter next. Painter Sharpless on the ones and twos coming to you from an undisclosed location. How are we doing, Painter? Doing well. Doing well. I, I don't want to steal your thunder because I feel like you're about to, to go here. But this is, you know, we like our we like our round numbers or whatever. This is a... This is a blockbuster episode. This is a summer blockbuster, much like... Barbie and Oppenheimer, which we'll talk about later towards the end of the episode for sure. Because Dan and I, Dan and I played the doubleheader uh, this week. We didn't go full double feature back to back. I did not have the stamina for that. Uh, but uh, Dan, by the way, is Dan Peck of the Dan Peck Radio Network, the man with the golden voice, checking in from Auburn as well. Hello, Dan. You know, I I know you're not supposed to give yourself a nickname, but if you guys want to start calling me the Blockbuster, I would I would absolutely I'd love it. And let me tell you. I still owe that place some money, and I don't think they're getting it. I don't think block. I think I out. I think I waited them out. And if we're going to mention Blockbuster, shout out to Movie Gallery, of course. And Movie and, Gallery. And I mean, Troy's Troy's football field, right? Will we'll it's still-, still Movie Gallery Stadium in my mind? Like I jokingly still refer to it as as, as Movie Gallery Stadium. We're I making said- magic in Movie Gallery Stadium. I think That's I, right. I think I said that on the air once during a Troy basketball game, and and it was recommended that I d- I don't call it that when <laughs> I, when I mentioned I, so, when I mentioned football games. Uh, Bar- Barry McKnight was uh, was was nice enough to point out that it's changed its name since then. <laughs> Barry McKnight, the goat, too. Shout oh. out to Barry, uh, golden voice as well. Uh, 
I, I just remember when I was a kid playing like the early NCAA football games on the PS2. Like origin, I remember when it was still Troy State. Still love the old TSU logo. It's one. It's one of my all-time favorites. But I do remember, like, for some reason, as a kid, you know, when you would play, I would play with Troy. Uh, always get him to the SEC. Always turn him into a powerhouse. But I always would like mark out when you know you saw the twenty-five yard line logo, and it's just the movie gallery <laughs> logo. And like when you're like an elementary school age kid, you're like, I know that place. I've been there. And I've been I- here too. Like. I don't know how far movie galleries reach went nationally. I feel like that was pretty big exposure for them to be oh, yeah. in, to be in the video game at that point as a uh, as a, a I mean I think it was regional maybe they got to the point where they were uh, national but that's a uh, that, that that was huge. I, I agree. According, I loved, loved loved playing them in the video game. According to according to uh, Wikipedia, it was the second largest uh, in the U.S. behind Blockbuster. So. I had 4,700 stores in North America. Wow. Wow. That is... Most movie galleries were located in rural areas, uh, while Hollywood video locations, which competed directly with Blockbuster, were located in urban areas. Okay, so movie gallery and Hollywood... I guess I didn't know that. Movie gallery and Hollywood video were the same company once upon a time. So, shout out to movie gallery. For those of us who grew up in rural areas, it was movie gallery. We love we love our movie gallery, folks. Um, we're not here to talk about movie gallery, uh, but we are here to talk about blockbusters uh, and not just Dan Peck. Um, we're going to talk today. We are shoot. By the time you're listening to this, we're a little over a week away uh, from the start of fall camp. A lot of a uh, lot of fun stuff coming up around the corner. A lot of excitement. A lot of buzz around Auburn football coming off of media days. Dan and I were up there, um, and uh, we've had a lot of good stuff from that on the observer and we'll be in, you know, full swing fall camp. I mean, so, I mean, we'll have observations all the time, you know, whenever we get access, a lot of interviews and stuff, it'll just be really exciting to kind of ramp up uh, for the season, but we kind of need to preview it. We're going to set the tone. Uh, we're going to talk some, some storylines, just kind of, it's kind of an overview, a preview of what we're looking for in fall camp, because there's a lot to get to, uh, before Auburn starts their first season under this new regime. Before we do that, just want to quickly mention up at the top, or you know, this is coming out on Tuesday, uh, Wednesday afternoon, uh, Wednesday afternoon, early evening. I think it's like four or five o'clock. Um, Demarcus Riddick, who is a five-star composite linebacker from uh, Chilton County, uh, plays at you know, plays at Chilton County from Clanton, uh, is going to make his announcement. And he's got an interesting case. If you listened to our podcast not too long ago with Christian Clemente, he mentioned Demarcus Riddick as a guy who has been committed to Georgia for a while, several months now. But it does seem like his final decision is going to come down between flipping to either Auburn or Alabama. Um, Auburn's in the hunt. They've made a really good push to try to flip him. This would be a big-time move if Auburn can make it happen. I had a big cat weekend, which which comes up, um, you know, starting this weekend, and I believe Riddick's on the list for that, which seems that could bode well for Auburn. You know, it'd be kind of weird to like commit to somebody else and then, <laughs> and then show up in there, show up at a big cat weekend a couple of days later. But hey, strange things have happened in recruiting. We all know that uh, Auburn got a linebacker not too long ago from Tuskegee, right down the road with with Joseph Phillips. Everybody thought he was going to Georgia. Auburn pulls it pulls it out at the eleventh hour. We've also seen Cam Coleman pick texas a&m at the 11th hour as well so 
anything can happen in recruiting. I just want to say be aware of that. Um, you know, either even if you're not super super into recruiting and recruiting coverage, it's a big time um, recruit. Uh, for Auburn if they're able to land him. Like I said, five-star composite. He's a high four-star pretty much everywhere, um, but his his ranking is so high that when you look at composite, I believe 247's got one and on three has one as well. Both of them have them as has have him as a five-star because pretty much everyone's united that this is one of the best players and one of the best linebackers in the country. So even though it's kind of an odd thing, not a five-star by any specific outlet right now, but when you combine it all together, he is what you would consider a five-star and how highly he's rated, just because everybody's really consistent across the board on him. So whether keep an eye he's, on that. Whether he's a four- or a five-star, he's got the right offers because Alabama and Georgia want him, right? And that's if you're a linebacker. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like those, those are the offers that tell you that a guy is legit. Now, he's, a, he's been a – the whole situation's been peculiar because yeah. he's a Georgia commit who had an announcement date set – but yeah, it doesn't seem like Georgia's really factoring in. Doesn't seem like he's renewing his vows with Georgia later this week. It's either going to be Alabama or Auburn. And like you said, Justin, uh, he was also dropping hints that he plans on attending Big Cat Weekend. And someone who's attending Big Cat Weekend, it would be unusual for him to commit to Alabama and expect an invitation to Big Cat Weekend a couple of days later. Seems like if he's at Big Cat Weekend, he could be welcomed at Big Cat Weekend as one of Auburn's newest commitments. And what an addition it would be for this coaching staff. They've already made a splash at linebacker. And to add Riddick, somebody who projects as an immediate contributor at linebacker, to add him to the 2024 slate would be a, a really big get for this coaching staff. Freak athlete as a linebacker. Again, don't want to go too, too far into it, but um, you know, in case he, he doesn't come to Auburn, I'm sure we'll talk about him more on the other podcast later this week if he does, but it's a dude who is a 6'2 linebacker who is the team, his team's top return man. Like He's a kick returner and a punt returner. Scores on those. He's really impressive, super fast. Here's another thing. If he committed to Auburn, and as the rankings hold right now, he would be the highest-rated commitment Auburn's had since Owen Papo, another freak show athletic linebacker. Now, Riddick's got a couple inches on Papo, a little bit different games, but the versatility and the athleticism really, really strong. And also, shout-out, you know, uh, getting out from, from Chilton County. Like, that's not a school traditionally that puts out a lot of lot of uh, big-time big, ne- big prospects. I looked it up. Auburn's only ever gotten one player from Clanton ever to letter, and it was a guy who was here for a couple seasons and only lettered once, um, you know, during the Chiswick era. So that, I mean, that's a that's a pretty impressive. He he's had such a great, um, you know, career so far in high school at a place where you usually don't see a lot of big name prospects come out. But Alabama's really wanted to flip him. Auburn's really wanted to flip him. Georgia wants to hold on to him. Um, this could be a pretty big time. Um, uh, flip it if it happens to Auburn. And if it does, um, you're in a situation where you're heading into Big Cat Weekend with plenty of momentum. And as we talked about with Christian not too long ago, the thing with that is, you know, you don't expect them to, like, rack up six, seven, eight commitments at Big Cat Weekend. That's probably uh, too big of a stretch. But between now and the time high school football starts uh, in a few weeks, you're going to see more and more guys go ahead and make their decisions, lock the sucker down, and say, hey, I want to focus on my senior year of football. So during that stretch, if Auburn can get the ball rolling, I think they can get 
a really good, highly rated foundation for their class in 24. And then I think, you know, Dan, we've talked about this. Um, I, I think there's going to be a good bit of this class for Auburn that is going to be made up of guys who are looking at Auburn right now and say, all right, let me see what this looks like. Let me see what this looks like on, on the field in the fall. And even though it's not going to be a finished product, it's going to be laying the foundation for the future and, you know, hopefully getting Auburn back on track. Let me see what this looks like and see if I want to be a part of it. Um, I think there's going to be a good bit of that that we haven't – I mean, maybe I, – I don't know if we haven't considered is the right word, but it's just – I think that needs to be kept in mind. Like, the, wouldn't the be surprised that, if Auburn hits the fall with not the biggest class in the world. And right now they don't have a very big class, but it's a fairly highly – a lot of ratings. Their average recruit rating is, is extremely high right now. The players that have made their decision and not chosen Auburn, like the, guy, the guys that have come off the board with commitments to, to other places that Auburn was targeting – I don't think Auburn's given up on any of those players, and, and I think they've they've kept in contact as much as they can. And just like you said, there's the there's the chance that Auburn can make a case for themselves on the field. There's also the chance that any number of these teams slips up on the field and recruits come into play that way. What happens if Texas A and M isn't a strong team? in the first half of the 2020 uh the 2023 season you know what what could that mean for players that are thinking about a&m florida could have players uh go on the board if if the results are unsatisfactory on the field so i I think a lot can change but the coaching staff is doing everything they can right now to build up their class of 24 with what they have available hugh freeze mentioned it both in the huddle and in the on, on the podium at the in the small room last week that he's having not he doesn't just have to answer to the questions about Hugh Freeze he also has to answer to the questions about Auburn that are out there because of the previous coaching staffs because of the the things that these coaches and these recruits have seen from other Auburn uh coaches uh, previously and and Hugh Freeze talked about the having to fight the reputation of of Auburn needing alignment and things like that, and that, and that's something that, uh, imp- you know, help, helping out winning on the field, coupled with the efforts we've seen from the coaching staff, I, I think is, I mean, that, that's all they can do right now. So keep an eye on that Demarcus Riddick uh, commitment on Wednesday. Uh, we will have uh, info on that for sure uh, with a podcast and perhaps a newsletter uh, if he ends up coming to Auburn. Uh, check that out uh, around. Wednesday afternoon and evening. For those of you who are subscribed to The Observer, if you're not, uh, check it out, auburnobserver.com. There are links in the description, buttons in your email, all the good stuff. $6 a month or $60 a year gets gets you everything we got, including our premium podcast, so you get twice as much of this podcast each week. Um, additionally, you get all of the newsletters, um, so whether it's last week's uh, insight from what we heard from Hugh Freeze away from the cameras at Media Days, a lot of good info in there. Did a story earlier this week on Auburn's offensive line, um, mailbags, all that good stuff. And then, of course, all the coverage we have from spring practices uh, – I'm sorry, fall camp coming up. Uh, and then all of our coverage for Auburn basketball as well. AuburnObserver.com. Check it out there. And uh, part of your subscription or part of the benefit of your subscription is you get all of our podcasts like Friends of the Program and uh, Painter. The boys are back in town. Y'all are, y'all are blessing the mics – 
uh, once again after a, after a summer break. Uh, we're waiting for some for some news and get closer to the season. So uh, you and uh, Pablo and and uh, and Dave are going to be uh, coming out. I believe that will be Wednesday morning for those of y'all who are subscribers. Right. We are doing a worst losses draft Uh, if you want to go back and have more fun you can listen to the best auburn wins draft Uh, that was a really good episode i do think many of you will will find uh will find this exercise to be cathartic but certainly uh just i don't know a little warning about what you're stepping into Okay, Berg, what's so he, the what's the first overall pick in the worst losses draft? What do you go? What are you going with? Oh man, man! It, it, for me, it's a little bit weighted towards my childhood because that's when it yeah. really stung the most. Like my mind first went to like LSU 05 or LSU in two thousand seven, but man, that twenty fourteen Texas A and M loss where Auburn is really rolling. Oh, I think yeah. they're favored pretty heavily, and if they win that game, you know. It, it's a bit of revisionist history, but I like to think that they take care of business in Athens. Uh, you know, maybe that's a little bit rich of me just because Auburn has struggled so much in Athens. But anyway, that, that 14 A&M game is a toughie. Yeah, and it's going to be hard to go against 2013 FSU, obviously. Um, another one in that ballpark, not as extreme as the National Tie game. Losing the SEC title game to, to, to Georgia, just the fashion that that happened in, knowing that mm. you could have been in the playoff and all that. And obviously the impact of Carrion Johnson not being 100% was, was huge in that game as well. But those – those that may come come to mind, but yeah, there are some there's some two thousands ones. There's some Tuttle yeah. era ones that will just like make people pull their hair out probably. Oh oh two Georgia. Uh is, oh, a, is that the uh, David is, Green is pass? Oh two Georgia's an all timer. Um you mentioned yeah, Florida. How about this? Does it have to be football? We are doing this one is going to be football only, okay. but I, okay. right now we can take any day. Uh, <laughs> I mean I mean I was about to say those dreaded three letters U V A. Right, but oh, I mean, there's, oh, oh. I mean, I mean, no, I, I uh, that, that's probably. I'm tr- Some people oh, will throw oh, in the 2017 LSU game. I'm sure that the oh the five Iron LSU, oh three USC hurt because yeah. of what of of what you thought you were getting mm-hmm. going into that game. I mean, right? to to think that you had a top five team, Auburn's best chance at a national championship in a generation. And and to get so thoroughly, so thoroughly outclassed by a team coming from the West Coast with a guy who was making his first career start, and you know, and, and like that that whole thing. Granted, USC then won two national championships, went to a third in in the next three seasons. But yeah, that that o three o three USC hurt because it was such a bubble burst from what you what you thought you might see that year. Where do y'all think oh, the... Oh, 05 uh, LSU. I just want to say real quick. Oh, oh, 05 LSU. Okay. You win that game. Auburn wins the West. Probably beats Georgia in the rematch in the in uh, in Atlanta for the SEC title. That's another... That's back-to-back mm-hmm. SEC titles. And it's mm-hmm. five field goals missed, and you still lose in overtime in Death Valley. Like, that one. That one's got to be... I don't want to... I would be careful to assume a win over Georgia in the rematch, just because that first game was so close, and the second one would be in Atlanta. Sure, yeah, but yeah. but but you're but point. you're right. Um, but you then, did beat them in Athens. Yeah, and then in, a still, wild, in wild fashion. But now you're still not in the you're still not in the championship game that year because you have two undefeated teams in Texas and USC playing each other. I think in the in the 05 title. But game. if you get a pull off back to back SEC titles, oh for sure, back trips to the at, Sugar Bowl. 
And maybe it's maybe it's West Virginia. Is that the famous? That's the Sugar Bowl, I think. With uh, I think that's the one where where West Virginia upsets Georgia in Atlanta because the Sugar because the New Orleans Superdome was damaged. In I might have I, have, I might have my years back messed up here, right. but I think I think I'm remembering West Virginia. West Virginia was always good. Those Rich Rod West Virginia teams were good for some wild, uh, yeah, wild you're bowl right, games. You're right, Dan. Shout out to. A, a guy who this has this has nothing to do with Auburn's worst losses, I don't think. But uh, Pat White, right? As far as like a guy who just missed, maybe missed his uh, fifteen years uh, too early, basically. Yeah, a little ahead of his time. Like that's a guy who just just nowadays I think would have been perfect for for contemporary college football. How, what do y'all so think me- that the the twenty twenty one Iron Bowl? means to Auburn fans because obviously losing to your biggest rival I don't it doesn't matter what team you support is always disappointing and then you add the way that they lost was obviously disappointing but there's this weird sort of like Auburn you know you kind of you're going into the Iron Bowl you haven't had a great end of the season you're like all right can, can the team just make this competitive so I don't, I don't know how much that affects and obviously a win in the that. Iron Bowl obviously a win in the Iron Bowl probably changes the the horse and tenure which is not what necessarily needed to happen, I think, for Auburn long term. I think we can all say that that's probably not the best case scenario for them. Yeah, I don't know, but if the if you bring the same roster, if you have the same roster turnover after the twenty one Iron Bowl and the twenty twenty two season plays out the same way, I still don't know if it's enough to save him for a third right, year. Yeah, like the that's way the point. way things were going off the field. How about seventeen Georgia? Yeah, I mean, you're, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, yeah. I mentioned that one earlier. Yeah, seventeen Georgia SEC championship game as a uh, as as a because that's another one where the game itself doesn't end in heartbreaking fashion. You know, it's it sort of trends away from Auburn over the course of a couple of quarters. But so, that's another one where a win is the difference. I mean, it's the difference between making the playoff and not making the playoff. So, okay, if you if you enjoyed this conversation and would like more misery, if you're an Auburn fan. <laughs> friends of the program Wednesday morning I will say though if you haven't listened to the friends of the program episode where they do the best wins that's a really fun one you need to check that out we'll definitely link that uh, when that goes up on on Wednesday while we're here let's just go ahead and take care of some business uh, you can help out the show um, first and foremost by buying a subscription to the observer or buying one for your friend or family member who loves Auburn but number two uh, you can help us out by doing what painter Rate, review, subscribe, leave us five stars. A line or two will do. Mash that follow or subscribe button. We do appreciate it. Yep, helps us out a lot. Uh, and uh, I, don't know, I don't know if you know this yet, Dan, but you're now officially in the, uh, the author, uh, artist, whatever you call it, uh, line, uh, description on Apple and I think Spotify now too. Oh wow! Yeah, you 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 get you, you, the the blockbuster is now up there. It That's is no right. longer just Justin Ferguson and Painter Sharpless. It is now Justin Ferguson, Dan Peck, and Painter Sharpless. And I did that because alphabetical order, um, not because I'm a uh, you know I'm not that I'm not that big of a of a yeah. Uh, uh, well, make sure out. make sure people Conceded. know make sure people know mixtape coming soon. All right, the mixtape's dropping soon. All right, so there we go. Just, yeah, you, know, you just get ready for it. Street, make sure the streets are ready. Uh, also, you can get 15% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com if you use the promo code OBSERVER when you're checking out. If you don't know Homefield yet, you might as well click on over there, homefieldapparel.com. A lot of good Auburn stuff. Uh, we're talking the most comfortable T-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, uh, joggers, 
quarter zips, anything money can buy. They're doing pennants now. They're they're out of control. Oh uh, wow! In a good in a good way. Um, you can also get the official Auburn Observer T-shirt at homefieldapparel.com. Just search Auburn Observer when you're there. And uh, yeah, it's time to stock up. I mean, you've got what you got a little over a month before the season starts. If you want to go ahead and get that get that game day wardrobe uh, tightened up for the for for the season. I have a question. I have yeah, a question about it. home field. Um, are did they repurpose old designs, or are they creating new ones, or is it a mixture of the two? It, with, it with is a field? mixture of the two. Okay. They get permission from the schools themselves to use ones that they find. Um, I mean, there are some Auburn ones that home field have that they found in like old copies of the Plainsmen or old like yearbooks and stuff like that. Old program me you know programs media guides and stuff like that uh that they use and then sometimes they 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 get a little they, they get a little silly with it and make up their own um stuff i think there's a yukon there's a yukon drop recently where they uh have a shirt uh for the uh ice cream the creamery on campus so they, they'll do some stuff like that i'm hoping so uh, should there be a musk should there be a muscanine ice cream shirt yes related there to should be there should be one of those but i will say this they did one recently, and I think it's Oregon, maybe, or I can't remember who it was off the top of my head. They've done a couple now where the School of Forestry and Wildlife for the school got a shirt. And I'm saying Auburn would be a pretty good one. We need a school specific shirt. We need we need a we need a program specific shirt somewhere. A little academic one, I think, would be good. Next time, home field. You know what to do. Like if I, if they dropped like a really cool like vet school shirt like Auburn vet school shirt, you know people would buy that. Absolutely, they'd buy that. Homefieldapparel.com, fifteen percent off your first order when you use the promo code Observer upon can checkout. Can you get Can you get a degree in falconry from Auburn? How does the Raptor <laughs> Center? How does that work? I don't I, know. That's like, a great question. Yeah, there you go. Let's get a falconry. Yep, that's that's what we're all going to go into falconry whenever whenever sports media dies. We're all going to be you know what Fal- the the rap the Raptor Center might be the answer to that sort of thing. I mean, I think you could. I think Ooh, a Raptor Center a Raptor Center shirt. Oh yeah, yeah. Awesome. I think the, I think the home field I think home field could drop some Raptor Center stuff from Auburn and, and it would it would clean up. All right, so let's dive in to the main topic of today's podcast. Uh, let's talk fall camp, gentlemen. It's coming up. Um, I think we all are in agreement that quarterback battle is going to be on the front of everyone's mind. It's the most important position on the field. It's the one that everybody talks about. Like if you do anything like, Hey, fall camp, what's going on? You talk about the quarterbacks, you know, everybody's going to talk about the quarterback and for good reason. I don't want to skip quarterbacks because I'm sure we'll have takes on them, but I want to go in a different direction to start. And I'll say this, we'll do this. I want each of us right now to get, we'll go one at a time, obviously. Give us your storyline, your question, your topic, your whatever about fall camp, not quarterback related, that you're most interested in seeing. We'll go through that and then we'll get to quarterbacks. So we'll, uh, we'll save that for the fourth quarter. Dan, Painter, either one of you have a, have a topic you want to, want to shout out first uh, that you're on. Dan, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put it on you. I'm going to, I'm going to force it on you first. Well, the, you know, the question I asked Coach Freeze in the media availability last week was about the players at receiver that he has signed since spring ended. You know, Auburn has added Caleb Burton, Jair Shorter, and Shane Hooks since uh, since spring practice ended. Uh, they 
it, it crossed my mind talking on the drive today that there's really no deadline. I mean, maybe the deadline is when you can't enroll for the fall anymore. But I mean, I guess the I guess the possibility is open that Auburn could add someone else at some other position, depending on what happens. So so we should preface Auburn for now has only added, you know, they've added three new receivers since spring ended. I'm fascinated to find out what the receiver rotation looks like and Mm -hmm. where how many players are involved in that and who they are, because they've they've injected some some new names, some different talents, some different skill sets into receiver. And I want to see who's panning out early and who from last year's team can still keep their head above water and get some playing time. And and I think it's something that Freeze himself mentioned in Nashville. It was like Jair Shorter and Shane Hooks, they're Reynolds. They he called them stopgap guys. They're one year dudes. Like this is they came to play at Auburn. You can look at a guy like Caleb Burton and say, hey, you will hope that sometime in the near future he plays like he was in high school, which was elite wide receiver prospect, goes to Ohio State. You know, he's had some injuries. He's had to, you know, had to deal with that. But, like, you think at some point by the end of his career he has gotten to the point where he's lived up to that, those expectations, that hype, and he can be kind of a game-changing weapon for Auburn at wide receiver like his talent and his skill set say he can be. Hooks and Shorter – this is it. For a guy like Shane Hooks, he's he's at Ohio. He's a solid receiver at Ohio. He goes to Jackson State, gets on, oddly enough, a bigger map because he played for Dion at Jackson State. No disrespect to Ohio, but there were times last season where playing for Dion was definitely a bigger platform to be on. Um, and then Jair Shorter, North Texas has dealt How with How often do you get to play on a Tuesday night, though, when you're when you're playing for Dion? Right? Know, like how often? The, yeah, you get to play on a Tuesday night in front of like 500 people, but at least ESPN gets something to put on TV, so it all evens out. Yeah, Five, 500 people in the crowd and 500,000 people with gambling problems. Yeah, no, here's a, yeah, and here's the thing. It's like it became like this thing online where it was like, I love college football so much. I'll watch the I'll watch the Mac game on Tuesday night. I love the and it's like if that's your thing, cool. But like also like. It, it came like it was like this, like this purity test almost. And it's like, guys, no, like, especially when it's like you're watching like two MAC teams that are below 500 in, in late October, or you know, you're like, you know, find something else to do. Maybe. Now, I will, I will say though, you get a couple of quality Sunbelt teams on a Wednesday night, and I am watching. Yeah, like, no, I'll tell you, all this... I, I, I'm a shill for the Sunbelt though. I'll yeah. just, I'll just say that. We should have gone to media days in New Orleans right now. Sunbelt <laughs> Sun media, Sun days, happening, media happening days happening right now. We could have had a table next to Barry, and we could have been... Painter uh, would have found a way to come over from the undisclosed uh, location uh, just to just to, just to to partake in New Orleans. I think it's at the Superdome. I believe, I believe, oh, wow. believe Sunbelt headquarters is in the Superdome, and I believe they do media days from... Either the, the the media the, the media rooms in the Superdome or, or somewhere nearby. Um, to your point, Dan, like who like what that rotation looks like, who emerges is interesting because like all I feel confident in is that I believe very strongly that Javarius Johnson is going to be a key part of this offense if he can stay healthy. Outside of that, man, it feels like it's anybody's ball game. Like you get hooks and shorter for a reason. Shorter 
guy who's dealt with injuries in his career, but is a big, a huge big play weapon when when he can't when he can stay healthy and stay on the field. And it's like, like there's a lot of hype around Cameron Brown, and it's great that you know if Cameron Brown can stay healthy and, and turn in, like he could be in for a big year two jump. But like it's like, I'm not going to rule any of these dudes out that play wide receiver for Auburn this year, as guys that can be, you know, players who can tr- contribute. Like they like this offense. If you look at Philip Montgomery's background and Hugh Freeze's background. They want to rotate guys in. Now, maybe not six, seven, eight guys all get like quality catches every single game, but like they want to, they're going to want to play deep and play fast with with their receivers. And this is a group that does not have anybody that has really separated themselves yet, which makes fall camp interesting. And as we've talked about before, it's not like Auburn's got this grand tradition of wide receiver in the first place, which is what they're trying to you know, generate under this new coaching staff. Usually, um, usually when a team hits the portal as hard as Auburn has mm-hmm. at, at a position, it's an indictment of what's already there in the eyes of the coaches because they want to inject so many new players in and, and bring them in. I guess you could also view the offensive line this way just based on what Auburn has done in the portal and how much turnover we've seen since the season ended. Now, at receiver, a lot of guys can play, so Auburn yeah. needed the numbers no matter what. But you're right. With the two guys with one year left, they feel like they were, you know, it, it feels like they were brought in to play. Who from last year, you know, can can withstand? You know, I keep thinking about Malcolm Johnson Jr., you know, yeah. as someone who just we, we keep waiting to see if there's going to be a breakthrough the, the first year guys from last year, you know what what happens with them? Um, yeah, it's at that is that's a spot where you'd love to see a player or two from the from the holdovers, right? Take a uh, take take a step forward and and show that they can you know that they they can really be part of this new team. Painter, what do we got? What, what's catching your eye heading into fall camp? While I do think that the positivity that came out of spring camp related to the offensive line is going Mm -hmm. to only continue i think auburn's defensive backfield has been somewhat i don't know about slept on but because there are so many areas of need i feel like it's one that people feel a little bit more comfortable with Um, and maybe it just hasn't gotten as much play but between ron roberts zach etheridge uh, wes mcgriff some of the guys they've got the defensive backfield i would not be surprised if there is some chatter at some point in uh, fall camp about just how good this group could be. I love that answer uh, because I do think they've gotten slept on. I wrote about it earlier uh, this summer. DJ James and Nehemiah Pritchett together is one of the best returning corner. You could make an argument, the best returning cornerback duo in college football this year. DJ James, great. Just getting third team uh, preseason all SEC. Look, I mean, you know, guys are going to go when when they vote. They're going to go with names. They're going to go with like, DJ James was a was a fantastic cover guy last year. If you look at the stats, you watch the tape, all that. Like he did an excellent job outside for Auburn last year. Nehemiah Pritchett did as well. Now Pritchett doesn't have the same numbers as uh, James does. I will say, I think Pritchett gets a little. I don't want to say unfairly criticized or really. I do think he's gotten to the point where he's underrated because Auburn fans 
So Marvel fans kind of look at him, and they remember some of the struggles he had when he played in the slot. And He's good. He's a good SEC cornerback. TJ James last season was a great SEC cornerback. And, like, that's a really fun group. Jalen Simpson and Zion Puckett both back at safety. I thought Simp, as, again, wrote about this earlier this uh, this summer, Simp, his game t- went to the next level. I think he played some of the best ball of his long Auburn career when he was back at, at safety. And then you've got uh, Keontae Scott, who, I mean, Dan, uh, we talked about him in Nashville. Like, Keontae Scott, one of the first guys out of Hugh Freeze's mouth when he's talking about, hey, who's the leader on this team? You brought some leaders to Nashville. Who else are some leaders? Keontae Scott was a big one. Uh, and then, of course, Keontae, Keontae to me is the underappreciated one because yeah, and, and maybe yeah. it's because he was he was a, 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 you know, he wasn't one of the most talked about additions to the team when he signed. Correct me if I'm wrong. He was a junior college transfer. Right. And, and came in. And uh, do I have that right? Keontae. Yeah. Keontae came in from 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 JC. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's. And so snow. He, college. Uh, yeah. There, there we go. And, and so but but that is that that is an increasingly important position on the football field right like if you have a weakness where Keontae plays offenses are oh, built yeah. to attack it like you have to you have to feel good about whoever is covering the other team's inside receiver or if it's a athletic tight end that can split out you know you have to have someone that's that's you know got the ability to cover big and small and maybe the fastest guy on the team and he's also got to be able to hold his own and run support like it's it's an impossible job you know and, and yet Keontae Scott did a really good job last season at most of it and so I think that's a keeping him around for another year and and seeing if he can improve on what he was last year like that is on top of everything else they have in the secondary like that that just to me it's it I I can't wait to see what we get out of Keontae Scott this year you still have Donovan Kaufman, uh, who's super versatile. Uh, Marquise Gilbert, I think, is a guy to keep an eye on. Is that, you know, he's an older guy, but you know, can he take a year two jump? Give you some good depth at at, uh, at safety. Caden Bridges as well. You, you know, Caleb Wooden played last year. They go out and get Champ Anthony from JUCO. It's interesting to see just a new guy in that room. What what he looks like. What they think of him uh, coming into uh, uh, coming into fall camp. J.D. Rim being healthy again is big for that corner room. K.N. Lee is coming off a great spring camp, um, and I think fall camp would be big for him. Guy who's going to play for him this year, one of the freshmen that I think uh, obviously has gotten a lot of hype around him. And then there is a wad of dudes here. I mean, like Austin Osbury entering year two. You got to keep an eye on him for sure. And then look, Sylvester Smith, Terrence Love, Colton Hood, Tyler Scott, T.J. Johnson. These are all new guys. These are all freshmen. And they might not be in the rotation. They might not all get in the rotation this year or play a role this year. But it's that next wave. When you've got such an old room, Auburn hammered. I mean, hammered high school recruiting with DBs. They continue to do it. Zach Etheridge, one of the best in the business uh, at managing a room. Him and Cadillac Williams. Obviously, adding Crime Dog there just makes it even tougher, um, you know, for for, uh, for, for guys to pick off uh dbs from auburn in the recruiting on the recruiting trail it's a great combo that db room is great and i think last season underrated how good auburn was in the secondary in their pass coverage because uh you know it was just a it was just a bad season right like you know it you're not wanting to find all these positive now i will say this is not my takeaway this is not my hey who's it gonna be uh, the thing I'm keeping on, but I want a little subplot right here. I do wonder 
how much of Auburn's success in the past, in past defense last year. And they bring a lot back from that group this year. They got a fun new wave coming in behind them. I wonder how much of that was dependent on the pass rush Auburn got, right? Because you're having to restart it. No Derek Hall. Obviously, no Eculiota for most of last season, but you know, no no Leota, no Colby Wooden. They're having to restart, and they've got some pieces, and they've got some dudes that they like, but it's like there's no can't miss. Hey, this dude's going to be our sack guy, or this is you know they're going to have to find that. They're going to have to generate that. I think Ron Roberts is the guy to scheme some of that up for sure. But we're about to see how much of that is dependent on how much of that success last year for the pass defense was dependent on the rush they were able to get. And on the flip side, well, glass half full uh, evaluation here, how much can Auburn's secondary, being as good as they are in coverage, help that pass rush? Mm-hmm. Make the quarterback hold on to the ball a little bit more. Help that pass rush get home. You know, If the pass rush, you know, uh, rush and coverage go hand in hand. It's something Auburn, Auburn players always say. The thing with the thing with this this team is that we've seen in the past how the pass rush has helped the coverage tremendously. Maybe some of it this year you get to see the coverage help the pass rush a little bit more as the pass rush tries to find their find their legs this season. See, I, I was wondering, Justin, if it's possible that that Auburn's pass defense looked better than it really was because Auburn struggled so much against the run That's at also, times that last year. That could also year, be part of it, for sure. That, yeah. that maybe teams didn't try to throw the ball as much. because, and, and maybe Auburn's offensive issues played into this as well. When teams aren't afraid of you as an offense, they'll be a little bit more conservative. And when your run defense is struggling, teams will be a little bit reluctant to put it in the air because they think they can get eight yards or more every time they hand it off to their running back or their quarterback keeps it. And and that's a great point, Dan. And people have made that made that observation. I will say this: this is why I love using and why I prefer using yards per play over total yards when I describing how good an offense or a defense is. So, last season Auburn's yards per attempt allowed was six point five, a tie for twenty third in the country, right? And that's that's rounding up. You know, who else was number twenty three in the country? Georgia. Yeah. So like. That they had Auburn had on on a per play basis as successful at preventing big plays, you know, slowing down a passing game as Georgia was. However, you're absolutely right. Teams found it was a whole lot easier to just run the ball on Auburn, and that's 100 percent correct. Uh, Auburn last season, uh, let's see, they faced. Oh, they faced actually. Uh, here's an interesting. Uh, Auburn was in the top thirty nationally in attempts faced per game through the air. So, it, okay, it was a good. It was a good year. But yeah, this is why we use yards per play. But you're right, Dan. Like that. That you know, some of it is that. Like you can nickel and dime you because yeah, you know, you know, you're going to be able to run the ball pretty effectively. But if but if Auburn's more potent offensively this year, and if some of the additions to the front seven uh, make a difference, if Auburn is deeper, like there's reasons to think you'll get a different result uh, from, from that front. Because sure. I mean, we, we we talked about it at times. Like when when Auburn was playing a very, especially towards the end of the Harson era, like when Auburn was playing a very limited rotation at defensive line and at linebacker. Like it's it's just tough to realistically expect results for four quarters when when you're just when you're playing three defensive linemen the the entire game with with minimal substitution or in some cases I think no substitution there were times when you know you saw Colby and Marcus out there every snap of yeah, yeah. 
you know, Penn State or Arkansas, and that is a it, it's it's just tough to ask anybody yeah. to, uh, to to do that without without help. Yeah, I mean we've we've mentioned this before. Also, like if you just rotate, you'll be amazed at how your legs are. Think about how bad Auburn was in the fourth quarter last couple of seasons, last season especially on defense, and at the end of the second quarter, we talked about the middle eight a ton, right? Big problems there. It's just kind of ran out of gas at the end of halves on the you know, and that's. Rotating should help a ton there for sure. All right, Painter, you mentioned just a second ago the offensive line. I'm going to go with the offensive line. I wrote about them earlier this week uh, at the Observer. Look, we feel pretty confident. Avery Jones will be your center. Dylan Wade will be your left tackle. Gunnar Britton will be your right tackle if they all stay healthy. Those guard spots are fascinating to me because there's so many different directions they can go with this. They bring Camp Stutz to uh, media days. Um, There's a lot of positive vibes around Stutz. It's a guy who started half of Auburn's games last season. He had a solid year, all, all things considered. Auburn's offensive line, it's a whole struggled, but uh, there, was, there were times, especially towards the end of the year, where they were moving people around uh, in the trenches. He was part of that. Uh, Jeremiah Wright, a guy that uh, you know hasn't, I think he's only started one game at Auburn so far, but a lot of people are eye on him. He's healthy again. That's a big deal. Jaden Muskrat comes in. Auburn felt like they needed another transfer offensive lineman after spring ball, even though they had already had three really good ones come in and seemingly set themselves up to be starters. You got Jaden Muskrat, probably a guard start out, could help them out with their depth to tackle. He's going to get thrown in. Can he be a guy who gets gets a starting job in a short amount of time uh, this year? Tate Johnson, healthy again as well. Saw him play guard um, a good bit in the spring. Hugh Freeze spoke very, very highly of him. Other teammates spoke very highly of him uh, for what he did in spring practices. And then the big wild card, big Connor Lou, guy that I think is going to get on the field in some capacity this season, might not be a starting job. He's probably Auburn's center of the future. We talked about him on our last podcast. You know, the hype around him starting to remind me a lot of Braden Smith, whereas Braden was physically dominant. I think Connor Lou is a guy that you can feel like you can play as a true freshman because of his technique, because of his fundamentals. Uh, and I think he'll continue to get bigger and stronger in that room. But, man, Dan, the guard battles, I mean, I know offensive line position battles aren't the sexiest thing in the world, but you've got the you've got an offensive line that you feel solid about the, the starters at center and at tackle. Now, they've got to prove it at the SEC level. But these good vibes and this good momentum with the offensive line, I think they only go as far as if they nail – who the guards are and how they feel about it, and so how they all mesh together is going to be is going to be fascinating because they got because they got a number of guys who can play there, and you could have a, you could have another situation like receiver where you're looking at the opening day starting lineup and you're thinking, wow, these are all players that signed with the team in the last few months and and players that didn't go through last season with the team. I mean, you could have if if Muskie and Connor Lou win the guard jobs. Like you could have five offensive linemen starting opening day that weren't on last year's team. Yeah, that'd I mean be it's, wild. it's it's not the I don't think it's the likeliest outcome because I think they kind of want Connor Liu unless he's undeniable. You know, they'd like Connor Liu to spend a year learning center and mm-hmm. and working as the backup center and then taking over next year at at that position and and find ways to get him on the field without necessarily like making yeah. him a starter. And if, if Jeremiah and Cam and Muskie and Tate Johnson, you know, sort of figure out 
two guard spots between the four of them. Like, I think that's where they'd like this thing. They'd, they'd rather uh, this thing go. Uh, but, I mean, it, it is uh, – yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's going to look very different than last year, at least when the season starts, no matter what. Yeah, I, I will say also, uh, real quick, I, I wrote that story on Monday that you can check out uh, titled, uh, Can Auburn Finally Change the Narrative on the Offensive Line in 2023? You can check that out if you haven't seen it yet. But uh, – uh, inner circle member and, and a great commenter uh, always uh, TD Moultrie because uh, is uh, mentioned. Uh, I, I failed to mention him in my story, and I want to make sure I get it in when we're talking about the offensive line right now. Too tall, Isaiah Miller. He's interesting to me too because you go out and get a JUCO guy. He's got multiple years of eligibility left, so it's not necessarily like if you don't start him this year, you lose him or anything like that. But be interesting what Tutal brings to the table. And could he be a guy who kicks inside to guard if they feel like he's one of your five best players right now? He's a big guy, it, huge guy, uh, but he's, he's well, I think it's one. A, it's a question, too, of, you know, do they want him specializing in a position or do they want him all over the field battling? I guess they're going to make this decision with Muskie as well. By the way, that's Jaden Muskrat uh, is, is the guy. Hugh Freeze called him Muskie. Uh, during uh, during media days last week, and so I guess that's what we're that that's what I'm going with. Uh, but no, you're right. Isavian's another one. You know that that that's something. Hugh Freeze shines some light on the quarterback battle timeline, and I thought that was an interesting part of media days last week. I forget if we went into detail about this mm-hmm. on the uh, on on the episode we did uh, from Radio Row. Uh, but that that's another you know little wrinkle as far as how how long uh, how long does it take him to get from three quarterbacks to two, and then how long does it take them to go from two quarterbacks to one? And do we get one starting quarterback announced before that first game, or does the competition bleed into the first game of the regular season? Because I just I wonder if you you want you want your starter getting as many reps as possible in that first half against UMass, right? Like you want your, and not just your starter at quarterback, like you want that starting lineup to, like it's a luxury that you're playing UMass and not a team that matches up more competitively with Auburn at a bunch of different spots. But you probably want to treat it like a dress rehearsal for the Cal game Mm -hmm. a week later. And while you still want to be letting some competitions play out, I feel like they want to have that thing locked in when when they're when they're you know getting the first couple drives together against UMass and you know how how quickly does that take shape? Yeah, so I keep going back to this game because it makes sense. Um, one of the last times Hugh Freeze had a big time quarterback battle like this, where it was like, "Hey, do we get the transfer to start or a guy that's already been on 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 campus and has played for you?" Let's go back to 2015. Ole Miss opens the season against UT Martin, the Skyhawks. Famously uh, used to wear Auburn's old uniforms uh, from Russell Athletic. Um, they won 76-3. to So not much, of a, not much of a fight in this one. But if you go back, it was kind of like, hey, is it going to be Chad Kelly? Is it going to be um, Ryan Buchanan? Is it going to be Devontae Kincaid? And they play all three of them in the opener. That year... Um, you go back, Chad Kelly gets the start, uh, plays the first drive, uh, plays the th- – I think he played the second drive and the third drive, uh, played the fourth drive, and then Buchanan came in. Uh, and then Kincaid came in. Uh, and then Chad Kelly came back in. So it was like 
maybe you see some of that where it's like, like you said, Dan, you play them for most of the first quarter um, or, you know, most of the first half, but you might get multiple quarterbacks in in the first half against UMass and then see where it goes. And by the end of that game, I mean, they, they crush UT Martin. Like I said, they won by 73. But at the end of that game, Chad Kelly had the best numbers uh, of the three quarterbacks and, and, and on, a, on an average basis, not just not necessarily just, you know, hey, he had more snaps than the other guys. I do wonder if we're going to see some of that, you know, this year where it's like, say it's it's Peyton Thorne or it's, or it's Robbie Ashford. And you feel like you have that guy that you want to start and you feel like you have the guy that's, you know, the best option. But also, you know that, for especially if it's a guy like Robbie Ashford, you know that when you get between the lines and play real competition, it's just going to look different for him. Like, Robbie Ashford, the whole scope of who Robbie – and Freeze has talked about this. The whole scope of who Robbie Ashford is as a quarterback cannot be shown in just practices. And so I do wonder if you get some of that. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, maybe you have your quarterback in mind. But, hey, leave it open that if mm-hmm. somebody who does – even in a little bit lesser opportunities, and they pop off like that, you know, you're willing to maybe adjust your plan moving forward. In the case of this game, though, Jack Kelly got the start, played played more of the snaps in the first half. He was the better quarterback. Next week they, they, they go and smash Fresno State, and then I be, believe they beat Alabama a week later. So, like, that, you know, they figured it out pretty easily, but you still gave yourself something of a competition in the first week. So if you refer back to Hugh Freeze's first year at Ole Miss, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's that's when he shows up, and I think he's got a, a pretty wide open battle at quarterback that Bo Wallace wins. I think Brunetti was also in the mix, but that was an Ole Miss team that played Texas Week Three. Yeah, and Hugh Freeze used those first two weeks to get. Bo Wallace as many first team reps as possible to get the team ready to go play Texas, and I wonder if. You're not, not to like because I get why they'd want to take a look at Robbie Ashford as well, but I think it's valuable to get Peyton Thorne as many first team. If he's going to be the guy, you want to get Peyton Thorne as many first team reps as possible before you take the team to Cal in week two. Granted, Cal isn't Texas, but it's a road game against a Power Five team, and I could see the benefit of when you have a quarterback who didn't go through spring practice with the team. Those first team reps in game are incredibly valuable to him as well as to the backup that you might be evaluating. So so I could see why there's also the desire to if if the competition ends before the season starts, you want to give your first team quarterback as many reps as possible in that first game to get them ready for to get them ready for Cal week two and everything you've got after Cal in week two. But I I keep thinking on the road, you don't want to be evaluating different quarterbacks, you know, in, in, in a true road game in week two on national television. I, I kind of think they want they want this thing. They, they'd like to have you know it, it all but settled before then. I would think so too. And yeah, that 2012 season, Randall Mackey and Barry Brunetti both played the previous year before Freeze got there at quarterback, and then they brought in Doctor Bo in that off season and he ended up going with him as the transfer. So, and then Chad Kelly, a few years later, same thing there. That's why we say with the thing with Peyton Thorne, not only does it make sense that Peyton Thorne would be the favorite going into fall camp because of 
Uh, you know, the fact that he was brought in after spring practice as Auburn felt like they needed him after spring ball. Freeze's track record is go with the transfer. Obviously, you, you had a similar situation when he got Malik Willis at Liberty as well. So um, keep that in mind. Um, and also, I, I think we'd be remiss to mention uh, Dan if uh, Holden Garner, man, like if Holden Garner gets hot in, in, in fall camp. I think he's the long shot in this in this battle. Um, but, you know, if he puts together some good practices and, you know, as a guy who was here in spring, does the stuff that they feel like, you know, gives Auburn the best chance to win, I wouldn't count him completely out of the picture by any means. He had One, and if, he had some good if, vibes uh, for sure coming out of coming out of spring ball. And if and if Peyton's the starter, you know, can can Holden more closely step in and run the Peyton Thorne offense than Robbie Ashford, right? Like there's there's a question of fit and playing style and stuff like that. Like I don't think the competition ends just when one of these guys is uh is named the third stringer. Like I, like I would I would think that we could still see a battle to be the backup quarterback on this team uh, between uh, between whoever isn't uh, taking the first team reps. All right. A- anything else? Any other any other storylines? We can save we can save it. I mean, we've got we've got a couple more podcasts between now and the start of fall camp, but uh, wanted to kind of kind of go well, go around the room a little bit. Yep. I mean, I think there's going to be a ton of interest in whether or not Jarquez Hunter is participating. Sure. That, and that I think that's day. something that like we're not going to. Yeah, that that'll be the, uh, you know, again, Hugh Freeze did what we would expect Hugh Freeze to do in this situation and say, you know, at, at media days, hey, it's in the university's hands. I can't comment on their procedures and their policies. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, again, but, but there's a lot of interest in that for sure. And Hunter continues to prepare this offseason. Um you know, like he's like he's going to play, but you know, there's been a lot of that with a with a private trainer. I believe uh, I believe Brad Lester shared video on social media today of of Jarquez Hunter uh, working out uh, in Auburn. But you're right that that's something that and, and if and if Jarquez isn't out there the first day, I think it becomes something that's that you know grows into a larger and larger story until there's some clarity about what's going on. But that would be – I think that's something – I mean, Hugh Freeze was one of the first questions Hugh Freeze got at media days, and, and I suspect it's something else, you know, the, the status of one of one of the more high-profile returners from this team. And, and if, he's, if he's not currently eligible or with the team, when, when that situation could change. All right, so before we go, before we wrap up, with the, with the hard-hitting news of the weekend. Uh, like I said earlier, we've got another podcast coming out later this week, this podcast with myself, Dan, and Painter. You can check that out. We'll probably run that on Friday morning along with the mailbag. Send in your mailbag questions uh, for this week. We've had, a, we've had an awesome stretch of mailbags here recently, um, and all of them are usually good. And I'm not saying that because of my writing. I'm saying it because of your questions. But I've really enjoyed writing the last few in particular. Um, so... If you've got observer, uh, observer mailbag questions, already got a couple this week already. Um, so send them in to me. Uh, comment, tweet, whatever you need to do. Uh, send them my way. Friends of the program, the Lost Draft coming up on Wednesday. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, we will have uh, – we keep an eye on the DeMarcus Riddick situation. Just keep an eye on it. Uh, we may have something in your inboxes uh, if he ends up coming to Auburn. So, or ends up committing to Auburn, I should say. So check that out. Uh yeah, follow uh, follow us on whatever we're calling Twitter now. Um, the links are 
in the description. <laughs> and, uh, Painter, I'm going to let you set it up uh, with final thoughts because I know Dan wants to talk about – Dan wants us to go to the movie to, to the movie barn right now. Dan, take me to the movie barn. Well, no, I mean we saw we saw Oppenheimer and Barbie, and I feel like that's a you know, it was it was a really cool weekend of you know two event pictures. You don't see that usually. You know, you'll you'll counter program. I think I saw it was the third or fourth highest weekend in uh, American box office yeah. history. Yeah, if, if they were if they were one movie, I think combined Barbie and Oppenheimer made about a quarter billion dollars at the domestic box office this weekend which would get you right in line with one of the five biggest openings of all time barbie a historic opening for a comedy a historic opening i mean a historic opening period but like i think i think it's one of, one of the biggest openings ever for a comedy uh the biggest opening ever for a film directed by a woman yeah i mean it, it is a uh, yeah just just a a massive uh you know a a, a massive uh, opening weekend for uh, I, for, for Barbie, I let's let's. What, what did you What did you think? Yeah, let's just lead off with the Barbie talk, and we'll wrap up. We'll wrap up with Oppenheimer. I, I really enjoyed Barbie. I very quickly, um, and I think the message of the movie, the main point of the movie, it's like I, I put it in letterbox. Like I'm not the target audience for this movie, and that's fine. Um, I still think it was the funniest movie I've seen in theaters in a while. Uh, I went back and looked. I, Dan, I think I can make this run. That's the funniest movie I have seen. I laugh more watching that movie in theaters than I have seen in any other movie since another comedy directed by uh, 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 a female, um, Booksmart. Loved Booksmart. Yeah, okay. great movie. I, I, you don't get very many just good comedies, theatrical releases anymore. And this one, I mean, there there are some line. The cleverness of the writing, Greta Gerwig, obviously is is uh is awesome and and done some awesome movies in the past it just some of the writing and some of the lines just knocked me out there are some sequences that are incredible i thought you know margot robbie great in this as always she's great in everything that, that she's been in ryan gosling is this is like for a movie that is very silly and very campy ryan gosling's performance is really good in this movie like you know legit like you know Probably won't get like award serious, but like I thought, I thought Gosling was like he stole the show in, in, in the movie for sure. Yeah, I thought Gosling was was note perfect. Like I really like he's someone, in, and I'm a big fan of the Nice Guys. So like Ryan Gosling can do the uh, you know a, a wide spectrum of, uh, of of stuff you know as a as a comedic actor. But I, I thought he was he was perfect in. Uh, in in Barbie and and yeah to to talk about Greta Gerwig like that was a such a difficult job right to to do a to do a modern funny Barbie movie for kids and adults is like live action is like such a that's such a brutal ask and they went they went meta with you know, Will yeah, Ferrell I, I would definitely sort of a, say I would definitely say it's much more for adults than kids I will say is, for this I mean, one yeah it is it is a PG thirteen movie like it is a solidly pg-13 it's a it's a pg-13 movie but i but i don't think like i i don't think it's as risque as i mean a comedy for adults like i I think it it pushes the button a couple times but it i think it's accessible for somewhat younger audiences too i would say parents should probably see it first but like sure it's it's a uh yeah it's it's not a movie that that's 
you know, I, I, I would, I wouldn't. Feral. I don't think kids are out of place, you know, going and seeing it. Feral by the end of the movie got me. It was was just he early on. It was just kind of like ah, Will Ferrell. You know, he's doing another kind of Will Ferrell kind of big. He's doing. Yeah, he's doing sort of the Zoolander guy, but in like in more normal but clothes. By the so end, like, we've by got the, to by the end. I, I really, I really, uh, really liked his character. Really deep roster of. Uh, of oh, we got a shout out. Just show we, up in movies. In we this got movie. a, got got to shout out Michael Sarah. I mean, oh, mul- yeah, mul- multiple, multiple, just home run reaction shots of Michael Sarah, a guy that. I mean, we're coming up on our third decade, right, of loving Michael Sarah. You know, this, this is, I mean, we're, we're starting our third decade. It's amazing. Now, now tw- 20 years very, ago. Very, uh, some very Scott Pilgrim sequel. There's one scene that's very Scott Pilgrim yeah. versus the world in there for, for, for Sarah, and that was really cool to see. I, I, I had a blast, like I said, not the target audience for this movie. Um, I wasn't in particular, but I thought it was great. I had a lot of fun. Theater was laughing the whole way through. I I had I had a great time with it and uh, yeah solid, really strong, really strong. I say not just solid, just a really strong comedy that uh, that I think will go down as one of my favorite movies of the year. I would say see it see it in a situation where where there's a crowd. Like yeah. Don't 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 wait on Watch it. Watch it with like, other like people it, at least. Yeah. yeah. Like that. That's the rare one where I'd say yeah. See it. See it with with the with a crowd because it's a it's a crowd pleaser and there are yeah like like Justin said some really funny moments that I think would get so, a, would would get a big group going. So Dan and I both watched Barbie on Sunday at different times. I did a late show. Uh, shout out to uh, friends of the program. Uh, Justin Lee and, and and Adam Cole were there with us as well. The um, Ichiban sweet boy, Adam Cole. Yes, absolutely. You went earlier in the day, but we both combined forces for the Monday morning we don't have real job showing of Oppenheimer <laughs> where it was us and I think everybody else in the theater was retired, uh, which makes sense. Um, we saw Oppenheimer nine fifteen in, in in the large D experience in Opelika. Um, so yes, we did the double feature, but not in quite like I did Barbie sleep Oppenheimer, not back to back. Um, in a completely different way, man. Oppenheimer, what a what a film that is. I was, you know, not to make a really bad bomb pun here. I was blown away. Like I legitimately, I couldn't think of a better way to. Um, to afraid like that was uh, that is a not a perfect movie by any means there were some things that i kind of quibbled with and i don't want to go into them too far because i don't want to spoil anything for anybody but um that nolan went in some directions i didn't think he was going to go in in this movie which i appreciated um ludwig ludwig goranson um sorry uh one of the best um one of the best film music people uh, I guess is the best way to say it uh, of all time. I think at this point you could say constant collaborator with Nolan. Um, incredible score. Uh, and, and just the sheer amount of, I mean, the lead is obviously great. The, the top, the top guys, Robert Downey Jr.'s awesome in it. Um, you know, Painter stepped away from the mic, but his, but, it, but his fellows, uh, Tillian Murphy from, Peaky Blinders went went for the rafters in this one, uh, but the just the sheer volume of folks who show up for a scene or two, or maybe only get one or two lines that are just heavy hitters, uh, is insane. 
It's like everybody wanted to be in the Christopher Nolan Oppenheimer movie, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm proud. I'm proud. I'm proud they were. He's great at that. I mean, there's. I mean, ever since, ever since Tom Berenger showed up in Inception and had like a strangely large role in the final, the, the third act of that movie as Killian Murphy's associate or whatever the guy you know Tom Hardy wears the mask. Like you bring in these actors that that uh, you know clearly Christopher Nolan has enjoyed their work and other stuff. Uh, I, I don't know who's a spoiler. As far as like who who's like supposed to be a surprise is is is, is the casting of the president a spoiler? Because I knew that that took you by surprise. I didn't know he was in the film. I was okay. surprised to to see him. I you know the one the the one that I was really I mean just just really great to see Josh Hartnett again, and he was very very good. He was excellent in 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 the film. He's very good in the film. A couple of different actors in the movie. Are, are depicted across different decades. Now, and, and you know, and this is where it reminded me a little bit. You got to bear with me on it. It reminded me a little bit of Lincoln. Yeah. In the fact that you've got to find a way to make this story cinematic and the framing devices they use and the way they almost structure it like with, with Lincoln, it was almost like a heist movie or, or a, you know, a grand sort of bar, you know, like the, the way they, the way they do this with, with different, you know, and, and in this movie, like you said, almost to make it a courtroom drama, mm-hmm. and to and to tell the story, you know, if, if this if this character's reputation is on trial, we need to see all of these things from his past. Downey Jr. That's that's Sorry. one of the best perform. That's one of the best performances he's ever given. There's a couple of scenes in a, where in he, a career he just does he just goes all out, and it's great. Yeah, and and he's probably. I mean, because he's made stuff that people don't think of as seriously as some of his other work, like it's easy to forget. He's one of the very best, maybe, maybe the best without an Oscar, like of his generation right now. And he's so, so good in Oppenheimer and, you know, and, and Matt Damon, great as always he he should be in every Christopher Nolan movie, you know, from now on because Christopher Nolan brings out Emily Blunt, the best was, was, was uh was great and i and i said it on on twitter in my mini review on twitter um jason clark has a performance which i think is vintage jason clark where he's so good at this it makes him such a great actor the best jason clark performances are the ones where every time he's on screen you are wishing somebody would just punch him squarely in the face like he's so good at that is this about the fishing movie yeah, it's about <laughs> yes. You know he plays that. He plays a guy like that in the fishing movie too. If you don't know, Serenity, one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> Gotta check it out. Not the not the Firefly one. The 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 really really the, bad one with Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. You know our our guy our guy Hobie Doyle was great. Oh yeah. In, uh, uh, in the, it the, as well. the the Safty brother that's in it. I think it's Benny. Is, Saft- is, yeah, Benny's Benny Safty. Yeah. Yeah. Just just a home run cat. It, really good. Um, I, so my Oppenheimer, I would say, see Oppenheimer on the biggest screen yes. possible. Like with with you know with uh, with Barbie, see it with the biggest crowd you can. Go out of your way if you're one of these. You know, you wait till it comes. You know, to to blockbuster video or whatever. <laughs> you know, don't don't do that with this. Like like see this one on the biggest screen you can. Yeah, no, I we we saw it on the large D experience here in uh in 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 Opelika. It's great. Um, I. Dan, we talked about the seventy millimeter uh, screening in uh, in Atlanta in the Atlanta area uh, for IMAX. 
Um, I know I've told I told you story. I know of somebody who, who who went to that twice who does not live anywhere near Atlanta. Uh, so that is that is the love of the game right there. Uh, I haven't ruled it out, Justin. I think I have not ruled. Okay, I have so I will say this because because there's probably a fair amount of you who are listening to this who have seen Oppenheimer. I will say this. I think that movie is going to. I don't know if better is the right word, but like I think I'm going to get a different and different kind of enjoyment watching it the second time because they throw so many characters at you so quickly, especially in the first act. Yeah. That like watching it again, knowing who everybody is from the jump, I think would would I think it's going to enhance my enjoyment of it. And- for sure and knowing knowing what it's building to as yeah. well like I, like I, I found myself it's a it's a different situation but but i found myself enjoying once upon a time in hollywood a I lot need to more that again. once once i realized where it was going and i wasn't tense about every upcoming scene and i think with oppenheimer it's a different kind of tension but knowing knowing how it ends up i think i would watch for different things on repeat viewings and uh, and and yeah, probably enjoy some things that I missed the, the first time around. Painter, you're back on the mic. I want to close with this. I said it while you said it while you were away, or referenced it while you were away. Your boy, Killian Murphy, Killian Murphy, however we pronounce it. Um, how do you feel about about the, the darling of your favorite TV show? Some may say the only TV show you've ever seen, uh, Peaky Blinders, uh, getting all this love. And also, I will say getting all this love in a movie where he wears a hat a lot. Yeah. It's not as if he's uh, some, some sort of secret, you know, people have known about him. He's been a prominent actor for a long time, but uh, you know, I'm glad people are jumping on the, uh, the train. If you weren't already on plenty of room uh, to, to jump on the Killian Murphy train. All aboard folks, all aboard. 